if you've been with us, you know that one of the things I've wanted to do uh, between now and Easter is think about essentially prayer, but more than prayer, it's our life with God. And it's our life with God in the messiness of everyday life, recognizing that prayer is the frontier, if you will, of the expression of our life with God. And to the extent that your prayer and your, your experience of prayer is rich, is actually a demonstration of, of your relationship. Uh, you, there's loads of examples you can use, aren't there? You can be married to someone, and if someone you know, asks you, are you married? And you may well say, my wife takes no time at all. <laughs> We will tell her. It's <laughs> what she said. But you can say, yes, I'm married. But that actually does not explain anything about your relationship. All it means is that one day, maybe some time ago, you made a commitment. Truth is, you may have lived separate lives for the last 30 years. Yes, I'm married, but I've lived separate lives. In the same way, I'm a Christian. It can mean a whole stack of things. And for some people, what it means is, 30 years ago, I made a commitment. Actually, it says nothing about your relationship with God. If you ask me about what I pray about, if you ask me about whether I pray, if you ask me whether I stop praying, if you ask me those sort of questions, then you know more about what it means to be, for me, a Christian. And that's why prayer is so important. And it is obvious. And I'm very conscious when I speak like this that there's a sort of an element of, you know, that old phrase, grandmothers teaching, uh, teaching grandmothers to suck eggs. Why grandmothers want to suck eggs is a whole different matter. But that idea of some of you have been walking with Jesus for so long, but you and I both know how easy it is for our life with God to grow stale not because God is stale, but because we no longer, we no longer do the exercise. One of the things that we said last year about church is that we wanted to be a church of uh, growing. We wanted to grow as a church. We wanted to be a community of whole life disciples. We wanted to be a church that were alert to God's leading. We wanted to be aware of what God's saying. And None of us would not want that. But let's be really clear on what that means. It doesn't mean to say a church that is alert to God's leading is not, well, people on the governing body ask God. It's not that the pastor asks it. It's actually that we, we the church together, have committed to being alert to what God is wanting. Attentive to one another and good news to the rest of the world. And we'll come to the other two, but I'm still thinking about that idea of alertness. What we're called to do, and what prayer is, is a call for trustful living. Reclaiming trust, the way we live well. The psalm I want to look at this morning is Psalm 23. Let's read it for a moment. Do you know the biggest problem with this psalm? You know it. That's the biggest problem. 
Second biggest problem, it's the psalm that's wheeled out at civic occasions or funerals. Consequently, it's a psalm that we glaze over. But like all of the psalms, it wasn't designed to be read for comfort. It was designed to be prayed. It was designed to be prayed. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is not uh, designed to be a pretty psalm. In a moment too, you will expect, I'm sure, to see a pretty picture of a lamb. And for us all to go, oh, this is not a pretty psalm. This is a psalm that was written by, there's a sort of like a, a heading, a psalm of David. A man whose faith has been tested. A man whose faith will be tested again. A man who has suffered, who's been in anguish, who's been in doubt, who's made very bad decisions and very good decisions. A man of faith who knows that faith often grows in the dark. This is his psalm. This is his prayer. And that's why it can be your prayer too. Some of you who um, are on Facebook and things like that may have seen a picture and indeed a film, a very short film of this man. This man is called Pastor Larwin Adini. He's uh, the head of an, an ecumenical church uh, group in Nigeria. And this week, um, the, the picture of him is taken from the film that he, he was made to make by a group called Boko Haram, who imprisoned him, captured him in northern Nigeria, and then this week executed him. This week, Monday. That happened. And Pastor Larwin Adini on the film said, and remember that this is a film being made by his captors. So he had to say, these people have looked well after me. That's what all films say. But he also said, I've never been discouraged because all conditions that one finds himself is, is in the hands of God. By the grace of God, I will be together with my wife, my children, and my colleagues. What he means is they would release him. But if the opportunity has not been granted, maybe it's the will of God. On Monday, he went to be with the Lord. And someone wrote about that situation and said this. The church is growing around the world while it stagnates in most of the West. We need to be prepared to get off our intellectual high horses and learn from people with less theology but more experience of Jesus than we have. 
just because someone doesn't cross all the theological I's and dot all the T's that we see, that's actually the wrong way around, isn't it? That we see as essential doesn't mean that they don't have something to teach us. The phrase that caught my eye is, they may have less theology, but they have more experience of Jesus than we have. Where does that come from? Where does that courage come from? Where does that determination come from? How is that formed? It's formed in people who are not just saying, yes, I'm a Christian, but to be honest, if times get hard, I'm likely to drop out. It's formed in people and by people who have a profound experience of Jesus, who say, whatever may happen, I'm not going to renounce who I am and what I am and who I belong to. And in a sense, the reason to use that very dramatic story alongside Psalm 23 is that they are absolutely linked. Because it's the faith of Psalm 23 that's expressed there that actually shapes people like this. Let's look at it for a moment. The Lord is my shepherd. The thing about sheep is they have no defense mechanisms of their own. The sheep can't really defend itself. It can butt people, but it can't bite, can't whack with their feet or paws. Paws? <laughs> Hooves. Thank you. <laughs> a sheep needs a shepherd. And as a metaphor for the people of God, it's an interesting metaphor to keep on using. Because the shepherd is the only person in the sheep's life that can change a story. The shepherd is the only one who can ensure not only that sheep lives, but that the sheep thrives. The shepherd is the only one to ensure that sheep isn't attacked. The shepherd is the only one to say, when times of trouble comes, actually, there is a new possibility here. The Lord, David says, is my shepherd. He's the one I trust for a new story. He's the one who can actually change the future. He's the one who can defend me. He's the one. He's the only one I know. And the language of shepherd in the Old Testament became a language not only of shepherds out on the fields, as it were, but, but the language of kings and leaders. And David begins by saying, that's who God is. And as you read the psalm, and as you heard the psalm, you might have noticed how the language changes from I to he to you. Let me show you what I mean by that. The language of I is this, I shall lack nothing, I will walk through the valley, I will not fear, I will dwell. It's like a very neat sort of composition, if you will. I will lack nothing, I will dwell is the sort of the beginning and the end. And in the middle of the psalm, right in the middle is, I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. This demonstration 
of in the face of fear, I am safe. Why? Because David knew that God was the one who would provide, that God was the one who would ensure that in the midst of his fears, he was not alone. I won't lack. Why? Because I'm cared for, I'm restored, and I'm guided. He, the psalm says, he makes me lie down. He leads me. He refreshes my soul. He guides me. And that wonderful statement of the Lord's my shepherd, I am absolutely provided for, I am absolutely cared for, is because that's what God has done. When you pray, you reflect on two things. The only two things you can reflect on for yourself, the past and the future. The past is, what have you learned about God? And that's why the older you are as a Christian, the more you have in your locker. You've been here before. And God was faithful then. And you're still here. (laughs) And so now, the things I fear... I can put them into context. It happens in the whole of life, doesn't it? The longer you live, the more you say, I've been through this before, we'll get through it again. This time you do it in prayer. I've been here before, God, I'll do it again. Those of you that have not been walking with Jesus very long, that's why you need other people who are older and more mature in the faith with you, around you, because they will tell you, don't you worry. You'll be fine. And it's not them going, oh, they're there. It's them saying, there's a whole company of people here who've been there. Trust us. God will see you through. And that's why as a church, because the most of us, the most we've, any of us have been living is sort of like 80 years, which is actually very, very short when you're approaching that. That's why you've got 2,000 years of church history to go back on and go, we've been here before. And that's why in the Bible, you've not just got 2,000 church history, you've got another 2,500 years of the people of God going, you can trust this God. We've been here before. Face your fears. He is with you. And then the psalm, interestingly, moves to you. So the first half is he, and the last half is you. You prepare a table. And it's almost like the metaphor changes from shepherd to a host. You prepare a table for me. Where is this table? In the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Your goodness and love or mercy or actually faithful love, loving kindness. Those of you that know this phrase, hesed, that covenant relationship that God says, I will not let you go. That will follow you all the days of your life. You are provided for that wonderful idea that what does God do? He gives you a table that's full of the best in the midst of everything that you fear. 
And then he anoints your head. And that picture is of oil that literally is put upon you and it flows down you. And the oil is of your anointing, but it's also of welcome. You are honoured here. And your cup, your wine glass, overflows. So much given to you. It is a brilliant picture of, you know, when people say, when you, they say, say when. <laughs> say when. And you go, no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Just flows over and over and over. Are you ever going to say when? No, because I want the cup to overflow the joy. Wine, Old Testament, picture of joy and wholeness and fullness. That's what I want to overflow. That's what I want for you. One of the things I pray as a church, more than anything else, the one thing I ask God for for you is joy. It's not because you're a miserable bunch. But I do pray for joy. And, and I've got to say, on a really personal and local level, the end of last year, I prayed that more than anything else because it felt like we were lacking it. It just felt like we were missing it. And, and it's not because any of us were just miserable. It's actually because lots of us were going through hard times. But it just felt like, oh, God. And it's, it was kind of like that image of God. Will you just keep on pouring so that the, the wine glass overflows? Give us joy, God. I'm still praying it. And I see it, but I'm still praying it. And then... Protection is that wonderful picture of goodness and love pursuing you. <laughs> it's will follow you. It's like God is relentless. He loves you. He is relentless. He will keep pursuing you. He will not give up on you. That's really good news unless you're trying to desperately to get away from him. And then he becomes like the hound of heaven, as someone said. You can't outrun God. You can't zigzag, <laughs> try and throw him off your scent. He'll pursue you because he loves you. How many of you know that even on the days when you're kind of like saying, I want nothing to do with you, God goes, yeah, but I want something to do with you. It's like one of those really awkward people that just will not go away. You may not want to know me, but I want to know you. That's God. Not because he wants to close you down, but because he wants to give you a future. This God who says, I will not stop running after you. I will not stop pursuing you. Even when you keep saying, go away, God says, my covenant love is stronger than your faithfulness. My covenant love is stronger than your faithfulness. And you can live the whole of your life, and you may know people who do this, who live the whole of their lives trying to get, go away, go away, go away. And God's there. I was thinking about it as a, this is my Saturday evenings for you if you wish to know. I was thinking last night, I was watching The Two Popes. Any of you seen the film, The Two Popes? Two of us, it's great, isn't it? 
We should have watched it together. It was brilliant. <laughs> the Two Popes. Fantastic film. Fantastic film on lots of different levels. It's, it's up there for Oscars. I don't know if it's going to get it. Maybe Batman will. But it's up there for the Joker. It's, it's up there for Oscars. But what I was thinking was, isn't it interesting that in a culture that on the whole have said the church and religion and all the rest of it, actually in the midst of this film that is up for Oscars this year, there's a message of forgiveness, there's a message of grace, there's a message of salvation, there's a message of a God who loves, there's a message of a God who will not give up on people. There's a message of a God whose grace is so great. And as I was watching it last night, I was thinking, maybe God is pursuing us. He's doing it to you and he's doing it to me. So how do I pray this? How does this shape my prayer? Four things. When I'm praying, I'm saying, God, I know who you are. This is the God I've come to trust. I'm praying about the promise. This is what you've promised for me, God. And then I'm praying about my fear or my situation. And then I'm following. This is who God is. This is what he's promised me. This is my situation. Now I will walk. That's why Psalm 23 works as a way to pray.